This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans. It's your favorite time of the week. A brand new, spanking brand new episode of your ESPNW Women's Basketball Podcast, Around the Rim. I am your host, LaChina Robinson, joined by my fabulous producer, Tarika Foster-Brasby. And uh, we have a great show lined up for you today and a lot to talk about um, first and foremost, if you have not listened to our last three podcasts, please do. Tarika is kicking out her best work ever. Um, we had Gina Oriema on, uh, Muffet McGraw with a great conversation that all women should listen to. And then we had the new head coach of the LA Sparks, Derek Fisher on the show. Whatever app you listen to your podcast on, go search around the rim, check out the old episodes, subscribe while you're there, rate, comment, whatever. Um, yeah, if you subscribe, you'll be one of the first to get our podcast. So, um, but we're continuing the conversation this week around Derek Fisher's hiring because it's a good dialogue. So we're excited to welcome Michelle Vopel to the show in the first quarter to kind of put a, put a ribbon on that conversation. Um, you know, we've talked about it, but you know, we, we, we kind of want to, we didn't talk about it enough, basically. So yeah, we're going to talk about it more in the we first half be of the show. Objective journalists. We got one side. Now let's yeah, get we the did. Other we got to get the other side. There you go, Tarika. That's why she's the producer, and I just talk. Um, so yeah, Michelle Vopel will join us in the first quarter to talk about her observations in his hiring. And then we told you last week that we would have um, Megan Kahn, the executive director of an organization called We Coach, will be our guest in the second quarter to dissect. Uh, Derek Fisher's hiring a little bit more and talk about women. Why it's important to have women coaches and why it's important to have a diverse search when opportunities become available for women to coach and be involved in sports. So, uh, yeah, we got Megan. And then third quarter, we're going to talk about the big upset. Susie Merchant Spartans slash Tarika Foster Brasby's Michigan State Spartans got a huge win on Sunday over number three, Oregon. So we'll talk about the Spartans and Jenna Allen and the Big Ten and Oregon in the third quarter with Michelle. And then fourth quarter, as promised, we will revisit UConn-Notre Dame, the fallout, the apologies, the blocking on Twitter, and a couple of plays that me and Tarika just happened to miss. Nothing personal, but we appreciate the feedback, and we are going to revisit that conversation. Anything you know, else, Tarika? LaChina, I actually started to start this podcast today singing the Michigan State fight song, but I didn't think that would get approved. You know what? Let's not. <laughs> don't get carried away. Okay? Let's not get carried away. All right. First quarter. <sighs> All right, fans. So, yeah, buckle up. We got a great show for you. For that, let's head into the first quarter. First quarter. All right, fans, it's the first quarter and we are blowing the whistle. That's right. We're kind of back to our quarter system a little bit for this episode. But um, we're continuing the conversation from our last podcast, our exclusive podcast. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, um, Tariq and I welcomed the new L.A. Sparks head coach, Derek Fisher, to Around the Rim on Friday to talk to him about his hiring, the future of the Sparks, lots of conversation, good dialogue. If you have not listened, definitely check it out. But right now, we're going to dig in a little bit further. And who better to bring into this conversation than a woman that's really covered this better than anyone has, especially from a historical perspective, um, always knowledgeable, always thoughtful in what she says and what she's right and what she writes. Um, welcome the one and only Michelle Vopel to the show. Welcome, Michelle. 
Thanks, Lachina. Well, I, I've been following your timeline because um, I'm always smarter um, when I'm following you on Twitter and reading what you have to say about different things. But, um, you know, we had Derek Fisher on the podcast. Tarika got on Twitter and gave him the uh, hashtag approved by around the rim, uh, which we didn't discuss before she did that. But it's fine. So um, we kind of weighed in on a little bit. Curious as to now that the dust has settled and... A few days have gone by. Just what are your takeaways from this hiring and the implications of the hiring of Derek Fisher um, for the L.A. Sparks organization? I think the the Sparks players from everything that I have heard um, in communicating with some of them, and and I haven't communicated with all of them, but the ones that I have, they were excited about it because they have a previous relationship with him. Uh, he's supported the team. He's been around the team. He's, I think, given some, um, you know, pep talks to the team and, and advice. So they see this as somebody who they already have uh, an idea of who this person is. And a lot of them, I think, uh, obviously know that he has a championship pedigree as a player. I think there was, I know there was sort of a disconnect between how maybe the Sparks players reacted to this and how those of us outside reacted to it because why I think most of us thought was, okay, they're moving on, getting another coach. That happens. It happens in all pro sports. But did they have a hiring process that allowed, you know, them to get a a good um, mix of potential candidates, uh, including, including people, you know, who had coached women's basketball before. So I think that that was the concern from the outside because if you look at it from the history of hirings in the WNBA, I mean, 16 previous former NBA players who were hired, and the majority of them didn't stay for very long and didn't have a lot of success. So the fear is both that, hiring that particular candidate who doesn't have any women's basketball experience and who doesn't necessarily have, didn't necessarily have to beat out anybody who had women's basketball experience, that they're doing it as a stepping stone to get back to the NBA, which we know Derek obviously coached in the NBA for about a year and a half with the Knicks. So those two things to me were um, kind of um, opposing each other. I think the players were seemed genuinely excited, and I didn't get why there was so much negativity. And those of us on the outside were saying, wait a minute, what about the hiring process? It's not that we're saying, gee, you know, may, maybe he was the best candidate, but did he really have to prove he was the best candidate, which is, I think, the kind of process you would have liked to have seen for such a high-profile job. Yeah, there is this thought, you know, listening to what you just said about the former NBA coaches that have been hired the WNBA to be head coaches, there's this thought that what you do in the NBA or what you do as a player translates into coaching. But we see that often in broadcasting. You know, oh, you were a great player. You can probably come on and talk about the game. And um, some of that's true. Some of it's not. But it, it is an interesting thing to look at. And, you know, going back to the players, and I, I made this point to you, you know, I think one thing that's that's challenging in terms of their perspective on this is just that, uh, the lack of coverage of women in sports, right? Um, this all goes back to that because when they were little girls, they wanted to play in the NBA. 
because for some of them, there wasn't the WNBA quite yet. Or for some of them, they didn't see WNBA games. They didn't see women playing professionally. So Tamika Catchings wanted to be in the NBA. That's what she told her dad. So these are players that um, they looked up to Derek, Derek Fisher, obviously. You know, um, they love basketball. And, and that's where I think this has been such a hard conversation for everyone to have, Michelle, is that, you know, we say basketball is basketball, right? So if Derek um, has a knowledge of of the NBA, and I always say on the women's side that what you did as a player should count towards experience. Like I, I, I think Lindsey Whalen getting the head coaching job at Minnesota, I was totally in. The, I approved of that a hundred percent. Like without even any former coaching experience, I was totally fine with that because. She has how many years of experience of winning? Uh, what kind of person has she been in the community, on the court? Like all of those things to me should count. These WNBA players shouldn't get out of playing or retire from playing and have to go somewhere and be a graduate assistant. That's just, that's just how, that's just me. I'm sorry. So I get that whole thing, but I think where it's challenging, um, is that we, we want to say basketball is basketball, but then we want to say you should have been involved in women's basketball in particular, or you should have coached women's basketball in particular. So it's a very dicey conversation in that way. Um, it, but I think it does come back to the fact that no one else was given a chance. What do you think, Michelle, that says about the WNBA? I mean, I think Richard Lapchick does these report cards, right? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, he looks at some of the professional sports organizations and they're hiring. And I'm pretty sure the WNBA has gotten an A plus, 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 plus in their diversity. Right. Yeah. So what then, because we know that the likelihood of the NBA ever doing this, right, ever hiring a woman as a head coach who has never even been an assistant in the league, the chances of that are like nil. Yet the WNBA making that exception on a historical basis, what does that say to you, if anything, Michelle? Well, what it suggests is that there's something easier or less important about the WNBA. It's hard not to see it that way. Um, It's sort of like, well, anybody who knows anything about basketball at all could come in and coach in the WNBA, but you have to have this you know, you have to have a lot more experience per, and, and specifically experience in the NBA and or, you know, men's college basketball to do it in on the NBA side. What I would say, what you're saying earlier, and I totally know what you mean because this is a tough knot to untangle, that we want to say basketball is basketball and, and it shouldn't matter. And in an ideal world, I guess that would that would be true. But there's two elements to that to me. One is that there is nowhere near the same opportunity for women or even for men who spent their lives coaching women's basketball to coach on the other side, on men's basketball. They're pretty much hemmed in for the most part and jobs they're going to get, which are jobs in women's basketball. We're starting to see this break a little bit, but it's not much. Meanwhile, on the other side, if you're a man, you could coach men or women pro or college that job market pretty much is open to you and if you've coached men at all nobody thinks twice about you going over to coach women so for instance let's look at somebody like a james wade why was there not there was no you know big um 
no, nobody was complaining that James Wade got the uh, the Chicago Sky job, even though he was a man. Nobody said anything about that, as far as I knew, because he was, what, seven years he was an assistant in the WNBA. I have a feeling if Derek Fisher had gotten an assistant's job in the WNBA, nobody would have said anything. It was that immediately to jump into the head coaching job without any of the other work. And then you look at, for instance, like a Becky Hammond, how many years will she have to be an assistant in the NBA before she gets a shot? at a head coaching job. So that's, to me, that's where where the issue is. Um, yeah. and, and what does it say? Again, and I'm sure the Sparks weren't thinking like, uh, you know, the Sparks upper management were thinking that, but it, it is hard to not have that feeling like that this is a way station. You know, it's something for somebody to do in order to get back into the NBA. And that mm-hmm. is sort of, worrisome in the fact that then you have other people who their life goal is to get a WNBA head coaching job. They're not getting the shot to do it. And somebody who may be just using it as a way station. Now, I do want to stress, I want to be fair, in the press conference, Derek Fisher said, no, that's not what this is. And Penny Toller said the same thing. So we have to take them at their word. You know, this is really what he wants to do. Now, it doesn't mean he'll never get back and the NBA, but the the whole point of this is not to get back into the NBA. Yeah, he said he had other job offers. I mean, I can imagine yeah. with an expanding G League that we've seen just get bigger over the past few years that, you know, he was contacted in, in that space, you know, and so, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, and, and to be honest, he came on the podcast and he really blew Tariq and I away, you know, with just his, how intentional he was and, you know, his, his knowledge and even how he, you know, one thing that I thought stood out and fans if you haven't listened to it definitely go back and listen to Derek Fisher's interview but he said you know basically that we as men have created this and now there's some of us in the NBA that are trying to fix it you know that there are guys that are trying to step up and put their money where their mouth is and not just say that basketball is basketball and we respect the women's game but how can we actually help to build the game so him living lending his talents and his leadership and his expertise to it I think speaks volumes um, because I'm sure Derek Fisher can do a lot of things um, you know, but, but no one, I think the, the sentiment is, at least from what I get from a lot of the fans is we just don't want to feel like we're lucky to have Derek Fisher just because he's coming from the NBA side. He's lucky to coach in the WNBA. So I, I think that was what, you know, a, a lot of people wanted to make sure they, they stress, um, as, you know, he got support for being hired. And, and let's just say this, it wasn't, he didn't hire himself. So again, him coming on, him doing his diligence and, and knowing the, the league and doing his research, all that stuff. I mean, he's, he sounds prepared and he sounds ready. Um, I, I just think obviously again, it just goes back to the hiring process. And Muffet McGraw talked about this on our podcast with her and, I thought it was outstanding. You know, she just said, hey, I've got an all-women staff because it's important for my players to see women in leadership positions. And those numbers you shared, the numbers that Megan Kahn will share with us in a moment, and we'll talk to the executive director of We Coach in a moment, which is an organization that, um, you know, putting efforts into making sure women get hired. You know, it's just that we have to have women leaders for girls to see, for women to see. And when you look at organizations, when you look at businesses, when you look at 
you know, Fortune 500 companies, when you look at some of the most empowerful, some of the most powerful boards, they're just void of women. And actually, the numbers aren't trending in a good way. So how can we get women in spaces where they can be seen as capable and, and powerful and as leaders? Well, you got to give them an interview, basically. Yeah. Yeah, and I think ultimately, LaChina, that you just really wrapped it up very well. Which is, um, n- nobody wishes Derek Fisher or the Sparks any ill will at all. I don't. I hope. I hope he's a, a huge success. That that would be great for the league. It was the way that the process went. Uh, the Sparks, I think, made a, a you know a, a mistake announcing um, uh, you know on on November thirtieth that they're going to start a comprehensive search. They made a public announcement of that, and then literally days later they say, "Oh, we've got our we've got our new coach, and he was the only candidate." So they really contradicted themselves publicly, and that didn't do him any favors either. You know the way that that was handled. But again, giving people an opportunity to at least interview, you know, yeah. getting that foot in the door, I think that would have made the process better. Now that what's done is done, you know, let let's hope that this that this works out. You know, I think that's if if this ends up being successful and the Sparks players, you know, enjoy playing for him and he has a successful career, that's that's a positive. And then hopefully there's a you know that other other teams look at how this was handled and say, you know, we we don't want to do it that same way. Yeah, for sure. Well, fans, um, if you enjoyed that chat with Michelle Vopel, stand by. In the second quarter, we will, are going to talk to Megan Kahn, the executive director of We Coach, and really dig in with Megan about what is it? Why are we so passionate about women coaching women? But just women coaching in general. But women coaching ge- women, I think, is, is a really major discussion, especially coming off of what uh, just happened with the Los Angeles Sparks. So stand by. Second quarter on the way. Second quarter, inside the huddle. In this conversation about the hiring of Derek Fisher, obviously um, everyone has their opinions. Derek Fisher has given a lot to the game of basketball. He's a five-time champion, um, has coached on the NBA level. Uh, We heard Candace Parker say, you know, in some of her comments that Derek has supported women's basketball for many, many, many years. Uh, But then there's another side of that. There's there are people who believe that um, this search was a little too short and that maybe there should have been some women that were considered um, as candidates. And and maybe they were considered. I don't want to put words in Penny Toller's mouth, but it does sound like it was a pretty uh, open and closed deal. She kind of knew she wanted Derek. It worked out and moved on. But um, why not have a woman, a former player, someone who has um, given to women's basketball, even even if it's not a woman? I mean, there's a conversation of, hey, Derek Fisher has never coached women before. Where does this come from? Well, as far as the women coaching side of things, we have an expert because LaChina is not the expert. I'm a basketball analyst. Um, but I have a good friend of mine by the name of Megan Kahn, and she is the executive director of We Coach, which is an organization that I am really excited about. We know about the WBCA, the Women's Basketball Coaches Association. Um, but that's for all women's basketball coaches. We Coach, in particular, their mission is they are the premier membership organization dedicated to the recruitment, advancement, and retention of women coaches of all sports, all levels. Please join me in welcoming Megan Kahn to the show. Welcome, Megan. Thanks so much for having me, LaChina. 
Well, tell me a little bit. First of all, you and I go way back. I don't even know when we first met. I feel like I was like 12 and you were like nine. But um, you have worked in women's basketball at various levels and even the sport, you know, played a part in your life before that. Tell us about uh, the game of basketball in your career and how you got into We Coach, how the organization came about. I'd love to, but I have to say if you were 12, I was probably 13. It might be a year old. No, I think, I, still, I think you're younger than me. <laughs> we did meet. I love our story. We were young bucks. Uh, so this is a, a bit full circle for me coming on your podcast. I think you know I'm a huge fan of the work you're doing in the basketball space um, and certainly in the media space with your rising media stars program. So let me Thank first you. say congratulations to you. Thank you. I did, and uh, I think our basketball lives probably overlap a bit with some of our mentors and colleagues, and Bernadette McGlade and Danielle Yes, Dawson, They're both near and dear <laughs> to your heart, and they're near and dear to my heart. Um, played college basketball, worked in basketball, uh, got some great opportunities. My start in basketball ended up um, evolving beyond basketball, and uh, I was probably naive to think that, you know, basketball has a little ego with it and uh, didn't realize that so many other sports needed the same help and were having some of the same issues and challenges that women in women's basketball were facing. And, and really that sort of evolved into my role with We Coach, which we used to be the Alliance of Women Coaches. So our organization was founded in 2011 and we rebranded this past summer. So Certainly, there's a lot of energy and excitement um, that goes along with that rebrand this past August to We Coach. And and what made you want to? Again, you have various stops. I know you've been with NACWA, the National Association of Collegiate Women Athletic Administrators, which is now um, Women Leaders, which I love. Uh, but what have been your other touch points leading up to now with women in sports in general, women in basketball? I know you had a role in the Final Four in Tampa, which that's coming full circle this year. But how did that start mm-hmm. for you? Yeah, you know, um, I coached uh, for a couple of years out of college, got my graduate degree, and quickly decided that the livelihood of, of 18 to 22-year-olds wasn't what I was cut out for, and wanted to have an impact still in the game. And uh, let's backtrack to about 2004, 2005, 2006, and that was when ACC Women's Basketball was certainly the pinnacle of the sport with three teams in the top five. And my dream job, I said, was, hey, I want to go work at the ACC. And uh, ended up landing a job in women's basketball there. And, and I was pretty much hook, line, and sinker at that point. I knew I was meant to be in that spot and had some great opportunities there. Ended up uh, going on to the Atlantic 10 Conference when Commissioner McGlade assumed that role there. So went from the ACC to the A-10 with her, was there with her for four years and ended up deciding that I was going to leave the A-10 and start my own consulting business. That's when I moved down here uh, to St. Petersburg, Florida, and stumbled upon dear, dear friends Rob Higgins and Clara Lessinger with Tampa Bay Sports Commission and the wonderful work they're doing. And so in 2015, I was tournament manager for game operations when the Women's Final Four was here and certainly am uh, moonlighting in that role again for 2019. So big things to come for Tampa here with the Women's Final Four coming up. Nice, nice, nice. Okay, so we know that the mission of We Coach is to gain more opportunities for women, resources, retention, whatever it is. Try to keep women in coaching. Why Mm -hmm. is that Mm -hmm. important? Well, and let me just say we're not anti-male. So are, are we around the women's movement and helping support women? Yes, exactly we are because we have recognized and research tells us that 
women face unique challenges that their male counterparts are not. And it's important for these young women to have strong female positive role models in our lives. If you look back to, first of all, let me clarify, I'm not an expert. I'll call myself, a, how about I call myself a specialist? So, Okay, specialist um, sounds good. I, look, listen, I just know you've uh, done more research on this than I have. Yes, Let's just say that. Yes, absolutely. Because you know what? That is a powerful thing. So in 1972, though, which is the year Title IX was enacted, 90% of female college teams were coached by women. That in 50 year, almost 50 years later, here we are, and that number is hovering at about 41%. So drastically, that number has dropped. And that's certainly um, some of which is because uh, it has become a lucrative career, but men also have realized that's a great career path. If they don't have opportunities on the men's side, they certainly can jump over to the women's side. Um, and they've been taking up some of those positions for the first time now in the past couple of years men outnumber the number of females in the assistant coaching role as well. And so certainly um, the pipeline of future women is dwindling now that we're less than half um, in the assistant coach pool as well. Mm. So when you heard about the hiring of, of Derek Fisher to the point of, of what you're saying, the WBA obviously is a, is a women's league, um, the most successful women's league in, in the world. Um, what, what went through your mind when you heard that Derek Fisher was being hired um, by the LA Sparks? Yeah, you know, no disrespect to Derek and the Sparks and the LA community. I certainly would have loved to see a woman get hired in that position. Um, and I, I would have wished for a woman to be hired in that position. There's actually been two males in the last, what, approximately four or five weeks hired um, for WNBA head coaching jobs. And you're now looking at only five of 11 our women, um, as we're recording this, Dallas doesn't have a head coach. So only five of the 11 are women. That's less than half. So certainly we're even trending less than 50%. I think I would probably feel differently if I knew a woman had been considered um, or women, plural, had been considered. And, and I don't think just because she's a woman, she should get the job. But I do feel strongly that qualified women should have equal opportunity to get the job. Mm. Okay. And I, and I will say again, and I said this a little bit earlier, you know, it, it was from what I took from it, it seemed like Derek Fisher was Penny Toller's number one choice. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, she kind of just moved forward with it, knew what she wanted. Bam. Uh, but if she had considered some women and, and Derek Fisher still got hired, um, you know, there are concerns looking at his his head coaching record at in in new york you know that okay he Mm -hmm. wasn't successful all right we see that that happens moving right along Mm -hmm. um but does the Mm -hmm. fact that he has not coached women at all up until this point at all play into that and into why Uh, there may be some you know some issue with the hire people raising some eyebrows Yeah. yeah definitely um you know you look at somebody like a kurt miller or even um, some of the others in in the space, certainly they've spent their whole livelihood working in women's basketball. And so if you can't hire a woman, then you look at a male who has um, spent their livelihood in women's basketball, coaching women, understands the women's game. Not to say that Derek doesn't understand the women's game, but when you're looking at probably one of the most successful and highly most highly visible professional team, um, I think that's why people are starting to raise some eyebrows about his hire. 
So what about the people that say, and we've said this, Tarika can tell you, because we have a podcast called Basketball's Basketball, right? Um, because mm-hmm. Steph Curry, you know, he had girls at his select camp this summer. So we were like, you know, Absolutely. this is cool. He recognizes that basketball's basketball. And then, you know, Sue Berg gets an opportunity with the Denver Nuggets. And we say, basketball's basketball. And mm-hmm. Chrissy Tolver gets an opportunity with Wizards. And we say, basketball's basketball. How is then that rhetoric any different when a man is hired, an NBA, former NBA player is hired to coach WNBA, do people have mm-hmm. the right to say, yeah, basketball is basketball, but this is different? Well, I guess to me, I look at the analogy. It would be like a former WNBA player ascending right to a head NBA job. And we know that's not going to happen, right? right. So, right. and congrats to Sue and Becky and those who, um, kudos to those teams for putting them on their staffs. But I don't think that for a long time, we're going to see a former player jumping right into a head male job. And I think it would also be different if women had access to the full scope of the jobs, right? So between the NBA and the WNBA, you have, what, 42 teams? Um, and we know we have zero female head coaches on the men's side, and we have five on the women's side. So you're looking at they have roughly 10% of the total basketball jobs if we're talking about basketball as basketball. Yeah, I mean, that's really eye-opening. And what does that say, though, Megan? What does that say that, you know, it doesn't even look like a woman is close to getting an NBA head job with no, having never been an assistant in the league, having never coached the league at any point in time? Like, we're we're far from that, and yet the Mm -hmm. WNBA has already broke that boundary in the opposite way. What does that say about Mm -hmm. women, or what does it say about the WNBA what message does that send in your opinion, if any? Well, I wish it was a different message. I wish that we were talking about a different topic here and some celebratory thing. You know, I always say um, when we talk about this or I'm out in the public and I talk about this, we don't say, hey, I'm going to my female doctor or I'm going to my female lawyer. But in sports, we still continue to identify by genders. And I think with the WNBA being the most visible and powerful professional sports league, it certainly sends a message, um, not one that I necessarily am proud of. And it also tells me, hey, we have a lot of work to do. This is why my organization exists. We have a lot of work still to do um, and big shoes to fill. But it also, down all the way to the grassroots level, um, it's important for young girls and boys to see women being successful and to, to know women as coaches. Hey, that's a viable career path. Hey, they're a leader. Um, and it's important at that level, right, too often – dad's the t-ball coach and mom's the snack runner Mm. so it you know sports is a microcosm of what's happening in society and so as we start to change at the grassroots like if we go on college campuses and some of our student athletes some of our female student athletes some of them only even grew up playing for a male Mm -hmm. so we need to start to change this as they go through their entire sports career Um, Mm. and certainly at the top there's a lot of eyeballs on that decision right or wrong Right. So I think it it does um, make a strong statement. That's a great point. That's a really great point. And I think, to be honest, most of us are. <laughs> it's such a it's such a difficult conversation in many aspects because we would all like to say, "Hey, like you said, let's take the gender title off of it. Like, why do we have to say a female head coach or a male head coach? Why can't it be a coach? Was have to be women's basketball, men's basketball? Why can't it be basketball? But then there's another side of it where we're like, "Yeah, but we are women." 
or I am an African-American woman. Like, I don't, you know, I want to mm-hmm. say I'm a I'm an African-American basketball analyst or whatever, you know, not that I ever say that. But, you know, because it, it actually is coming from a different mind. It's coming from a different eyes who have had different experiences, not only in my upbringing, but in my culture. Like, it changes so many things. So how do we balance that messaging of... But let's keep it simple and make it sport. But then let's also celebrate mm-hmm. our gender and our culture or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is that makes us different. How do we really mm-hmm. balance that? Well, and again, I think it goes back to getting to a point. Hey, if women had access to all the pool of basketball jobs, we'd probably be having a different conversation. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so until they're equally considered on both sides, we can't just look at it through one lens. Um, right is how I really feel. And so if if women or former WNBA players, hey, they could jump out of their league and go right into the NBA or NBA head coaching job, I think we'd be having a different story. But then look down at the same things happening at the college level. It's even worse at the high school, the club, and the youth level. So when we talk about diversity and gender, like I said, we're not anti-male. I'm not saying, hey, no men should coach women's basketball, but I think women should have qualified women. And I think that's where our organization comes into play is, hey, we have to do a better job of preparing women to ascend to those positions, to be considered for those positions. And also on the flip side, we have to get a, uh, do a better job of educating those in the hiring decisions mm-hmm. why it's important for their female athletes to play for a female coach and what message that sends to our future leaders of the country and of the world and these young women who will either one day ascend to maybe want to be a coach um, and what message that sends all the way down. You hit the nail on the head. Um, and I, I really earlier, you said something that I think just sums up this whole thing. And I, and I, I kind of wish we were able to get into this on a deeper level, but the truth is, like I said, Penny Toller, GM of the LA Sparks, who's done an outstanding job with that organization, um, you know, for, for 20 plus years knows exactly what she's doing Was a former player in the league. Um, you know, basically said that there there was not in, in really an opportunity for a woman in this case that she knew who she wanted, um, you know, but she said, hey, listen, I'm a woman as a GM. You know, I think the Sparks organization has done a great job of giving women an opportunity to make decisions, as you mentioned, to be that voice in the room, to have hiring power. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But she knew who she wanted to hire and, and mm-hmm. a, a mm-hmm. woman didn't get a shot at that job. So it's kind of disheartening that we're not having, you know, an even deeper conversation because I think, you know, having the opportunity at a at a position um, in the WNBA in one of the most successful organizations in the league um, in a market like L.A., um, you know, it's just a it's a conversation we need to continue to have for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Megan, mm-hmm. how can we support you? We coach. What do you want people to know that are listening to this podcast about how they can get involved and what we can expect? How can we support? Yeah, thanks so much for that opportunity. So women do, and this is certainly not just um, uh, prevalent in women's basketball. Certainly, it's the most visible, but it's happening in you know, 30 other sports across the country were trending into an Olympic year, what we're doing nationally, what we're doing on the international scale with some of our partnerships overseas. So women coaches have proven they can't coach. They should be valued as a leader on the sideline, regardless of gender, regardless of the gender of the team they're coaching. Certainly you can find information on 
We Coach on our website, which is wecoachsports.org. You can follow us on social. We're active on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And uh, you can find us at our handle at We Coach. Awesome. Megan, thank you so much. And what are we calling you? The researcher or not the, not the expert? The specialist. We, the, specialist. the specialist. Okay. <laughs> we appreciate your time and thank you for what you're doing with We Coach. You know, I mean, I, I walk into gyms every day with young women who want to coach, who want to get into broadcasting. And I think it's our job, those of us who have worked in and around sport to continue to try to pave the way and create opportunities for the women coming after us. And that's exactly what you're doing. And um, really just appreciate you, all your efforts. And thanks for coming on Around the Rim. Let's not let's not have this be your last visit. Absolutely. Happy to come <laughs> back. And I want to I want to piggyback on what you said, because I think it's so important. And we say this all the time. If she can see her, she can be her. So the more mm-hmm. we can make uh, women prevalent and visible in these roles, we're going to inspire future generations. So true. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate your time, Megan. Thanks, LaChina. Fans, it's halftime. We appreciate you tuning in for the first and second quarter. But we have two more quarters to go. Third quarter, Michelle Vopel will join us as we talk about the Michigan State Spartans. And in the fourth quarter, Tarika and I are going to talk about the fallout from Notre Dame-UConn and what is still happening in the rivalry. So stay right where you are around the rim more right after the break. Quarter scouting report. All right, fans, uh, we're talking upsets in the third quarter, and no one is happier about an upset that took place on Sunday than our very own Tarika Foster Brasby, yes, who is a Detroit ma'am. girl and a huge Michigan State Spartans fan. Uh, the Sparty picked up a huge victory. That's right, at home at the Breslin. Susie Merchant's squad beat the number three team in the country at the time, the Oregon Ducks. Kelly Graves' team this season, high expectations. Final four expectations, I would say, uh, for a very talented young group that has grown up right before our eyes uh, with Sabrina Ionescu leading the charge um, as a junior with an option to leave to the WNBA. But um, heavy favorites, and it was the Spartans that took the victory uh, behind the play of senior Jenna Allen, who hit a big pick-and-pop three-pointer um, that made it a two-possession game. At that time, it was 82-79, one possession, but at the, with 36 seconds left, she hit a huge three-pointer. She had 27 points in all. Let's hear from Chanel Gumake hosting in the studio, along with R. Nell Fortner, just giving us a little taste of the excitement and what they saw in the matchup. Unranked Michigan State has taken down number three, Oregon. I'm Chanae Ogumake here with Nell Fortner. How did Michigan State pull off the upset, Nell? What a phenomenal game. Really fun game to watch. But the physicality of the Michigan State defense without fouling was a big, was a big reason why they won the game. They also found a way to slow the game down, walking the ball up the floor. And then Jenna Allen, the senior. I mean, how about picking pops from the three and then scoring inside? She was really good today. That's what you want. You want your seniors to show up, and that's what happened for Jenna Allen, and she was chosen as the ESPNW Player of the Week after that 88-82 to victory on Sunday. And I'm welcoming in right now ESPNW's own, welcoming back in, Michelle Vopel. Michelle, the second time this season an unranked team beat a ranked team, the first time was when Gonzaga took down Stanford. What do you see in the Michigan State Spartans right now? Well, they just showed 
so much heart in that game, and they played, I think, a smart game. I mean, the way they were able to, uh, even the, the score ended up uh, being in the 80s, they they really tried to um, slow down some of the things that Oregon wants to do. I mean, this is a team that has dealt with injuries, you know, has, has um, key players missing, but really kind of played that game like, hey, we're on our home court and we can win this game. As it started to get really close, you know, at the end, you thought, okay, is this one of those, one of those almost upsets? You know, we see this a lot, actually. You know, the the game that's almost an upset, and then you know, the the ranked team pulls it out at the end. But you know, uh, there was big shots hit in that game, and Michigan State just didn't back down. And I think it's it was a great win for them, but also a really good win for the Big Ten. Yeah, um, and we're going to get into the Big Ten, uh, but you make a great point. I mean, you want to keep Oregon out of transition. You want to slow them down. They want to score. And, um, you know, after we talk about the Big Ten, we're going to talk about Oregon because um, fans are definitely concerned. But Jenna Allen earning a lot of respect because it's not easy to make plays late in games. You're right about the almost upset, Michelle. How many times are we watching women's basketball and – a team can't score enough to get over the hump against UConn or Notre Dame or whoever it is. Like hitting shots late in the game, which is why I highlighted that shot by Jenna Allen, because it's a game changer. And Susie Merchant's teams are defensive teams historically. Like I always joke with Susie that she seriously, and I think this is true, she learned how to do the shell drill in elementary school. Like <laughs> That is crazy. And she is, I love Susie. She's one of my favorite people. Her program has had to deal with way too many injuries in the last few years. I mean, they have been just ravished and so have fallen short of some potential. But Susie's toughness is second to none. And so the fact that they were able to hold Oregon in stretches and kind of slow down that offensive attack, not surprising at all to me. But Jenna Allen, ESPNW Player of the Week, 27 points, 7 rebounds. Um, she shot 56, 50, 58% from the field, 57% from three. Um, and before we move on to the Big Ten, I know Tarika, because this is her favorite team, what do you want to know, Tarika? I know you got something on your mind about your Spartans. I do, but you know what? What I really want to ask Michelle is, so you're looking back over the season so far, and I personally think that the Spartans could be 9-0, and but they're 8-1 and with their only loss coming to NC State. And I, I'm just thinking to myself, and I'm wanting to know your opinion, you know, if we had a healthy Shea Colley, if we had Sid back in the lineup, like, do you think that maybe the Spartans would have been ranked a little earlier. I know that there had been calls and questions about why, you know, after the game that they played against NC State, who I think was ranked number 10 at the time, um, why we had not already cranked the rankings at that time. So, I mean, good to see us in that in that position now. But thinking, you know, do you think that maybe the Spartans had an opportunity to be undefeated had we had just those few key missing pieces at the time that we played NC State? Yeah, that's certainly possible. Um, and I think I'm writing about NC State this week, as a matter of fact. I mean, that's a team that, um, you know, they lost uh, they, they lost the the kid they expected to be their, their starting point guard um, before the season. So they've had to deal with some, with some injury stuff, too. But I, I agree with you that there's, you know, it, if, if you guys were totally healthy, um, the Spartans are totally healthy, that, that could have pushed them over. In terms of the rankings – one thing I would say about that is it, their rankings are always kind of a, a crapshoot might be too strong of a word, but <laughs> I was, was going to use that word, year, Michelle. <laughs> um, at the beginning of the year, people are really trying to figure out 
how good because the teams, you know, some teams play really tough schedules. Some teams play cupcakes. Some teams play the, a mixture of the two. And so you get a lot of times, and, you know, all of us do this, and I'll be the first to admit it. Sometimes you're just like, you know, I'm, I don't know. So I, you kind of go sometimes a team that has a reputation or has been in the poll for a long time gets a little bit of the benefit of the doubt until they lose it. Mm-hmm. And by the same token, a team that, you know, doesn't normally get the benefit of the doubt doesn't get it until until they gain it. If you're a power conference team, once you, you have a big win like this and you get into the the rankings, then it's a lot harder to hold on to than, let's say, a Drake. You know, Drake loses um, to, to Notre Dame, beats South Carolina, then loses to South Dakota State. They're out of the rankings. So, you know, that, that happens more when you're not a power conference. So I guess the, the, the bottom line to, to this to me is if you're – if you're good enough, I think the rankings come around, if, that, if that's fair to say. Eventually, the rankings are going to catch up to, to be pretty close to or closer to accurate, especially by the time we get into to January. And it all has to do with the strength of your non-conference schedule and the strength of your conference. Like, yeah. Drake better, I mean, they got to hope that they have done enough in their non-conference. By the time they get into conference, they don't have to rely on that to get them in the rankings. It just, it is. That's what it is. I mean, we see that sometimes even with the Big East. It's like Marquette, DePaul, if you're not playing one of them in conference play, Villanova, you know, good luck. You know, or some other of the Power Five, they tend to have more teams that are, and their rankings aren't everything, but strength of schedule. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. It's who you play, and, and depending on when you play them can have a lot to do with how you move around. But speaking of the Big Ten, Michelle, you know, we've all been critical of the Big Ten in recent years and just some of the disappointment in the in the depth of that league. I mean, you can look at their numbers in terms of how many they've gotten to the, into the NCAA tournament, and I believe at times some non-Power 5 conferences <laughs> have, have beat them um, in, in that category but Maryland has been impressive early they uh, are 10 and 0 Indiana um, is actually 9 and 0 though that's the team Terry Moore and squad we're not talking about that much they've won nine in a row Minnesota uh, behind Lindsey Whalen big story 9 0 Michigan State 8 1 we just talked about Ohio the Iowa Hawkeyes Lisa Bluter squad 7 7 and 2 and so um and we're seeing a stronger, at least in my opinion, Big Ten to start off. What are your thoughts on the league? Yeah, it it has started off stronger. And, you know, it's interesting. So I'd be covering the volleyball Final Four this week. And there are two Big Ten teams in the volleyball Final Four. The defending uh, champion is from the Big Ten in Nebraska. You have to go back, I believe it's to 2006 was the last time you didn't have a Big Ten team in the volleyball Final Four. Nebraska was in it that year, but that was when Nebraska was still in the Big 12. The reason I bring that up is the Big Ten teams, the, volleyball really has, it, it's it's a bit of a competitor in, in, the, in the Big Ten Conference in a way that isn't in every conference. It, it really is. I mean, you look at some of the athletes that are playing volleyball in the Big Ten and you think, boy, would I love to see her on the basketball court. And so I, I bring that up to say it, that has been a little bit, I think, of an issue that the Big Ten has dealt with. The, the Pac-12 dealt with that a lot, and that they've raised their level on their women's basketball side, but they certainly dealt with that for a long time, and I think it's, it's affected the Big Ten. All that said, the other thing we've seen 
um, along with obviously Maryland and Rutgers joining um, the Big Ten, the, the composition of the Big Ten changing. We've seen coaching changes in the Big Ten that I think have have helped. There's still a lot of long timers in there, but there's been new blood in, and I think that helps. And then ultimately, what is what do they need? I mean, they need to have you know more another breakthrough in in the final four i just think that's a big deal to make it maryland made it in their first year in the big 10 but honestly nobody was thinking of maryland as a big 10 team then we were still you know they still were felt like an acc team you know now there's been more time they're more entrenched in the big 10 but i think we need to see that kind of those kind of breakthroughs in the postseason, and to see another Big Ten team in in the Final Four will make a big difference. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because about volleyball in the Midwest, because I was thinking to myself as I was looking at the, the volleyball teams that when I played AAU, we always knew when we were playing a team from the Midwest, like when we walked in the gym. Like they had the tallest players like they they just had a different look to them, you know, almost volleyball like. It's weird. It's funny you say that because I was thinking about that in my house last night. I was like, we used to walk into the gym and we were like, okay, this is probably a Midwest team. We could kind of kind of tell the teams that were from the New York, New Jersey area, but specifically because um, and, and, and Sports Illustrated used to have this page or this little thing they would have, and I don't know if they still have it, where they would say, okay, guess what sport this person played? Uh-huh. Like, yeah. based on, like, figure skaters sometimes have really big thighs. Like, you don't, you don't realize yeah. that. You know what I mean? Just different things like that. But we would walk in and say, if they looked like they played volleyball, it was a Midwest team. So that that's a very, you know, in looking at where volleyball is trending. I mean, their participation numbers are going up at the high school level for girls and basketball is going down. So um, another discussion for another time. Before we leave Michigan State, the Big Ten, I just want to say that Jenna Allen, as I talked about her three-point shooting, she's a center, 6'4 center. Okay, I had to put that out for my big girls. Uh, Michelle, before we let you go, what does this loss by Oregon signal to you, if anything? Are you concerned with the understanding that everyone expects Oregon to make it to the Final Four this year, period? Are you concerned? Well, it was, a, it was a tough, it was a challenging week off the court for Oregon, obviously, because of the NCAA um, sanctions that were announced for the program. The fact that Kelly Graves is going to have to sit out two games um, if if he doesn't appeal. Uh, not sure what two games those are going to be. So I think there were some distractions um, that may have been bothering them. I, I don't know that that, you know, I'm not taking anything away from Michigan State's victory, but I think it just, you know, it was a difficult week for them. Some of the things that, you know, Coach Graves said afterwards, and particularly, uh, you know, um, about players needing to call for the ball, you know, like be more aggressive. And maybe this is a team that as much as Sabrina Ionescu is sort of the igniter and directs everything, that maybe everybody else has to raise a little bit of the level of, of, you know, what they're doing out there, mm-hmm. if, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think there is a lot of pressure, I think, on, on them with the idea that, hey, it's Final Four or bust for a program that's never been. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they're, they're programs who've been, and then they have a year that, that everybody says, oh, it's Final Four or bust. At least there's been that experience before, but they haven't done it. So I think there is some concern, but you can also say, 
you know, November and December losses, how many times have we seen that, that do turn out to be um, instructive and and ultimately positive for a team. And I'm sure Oregon's hoping that's the case with this. Yeah, you know, Sabrina is tough as nails. And we, we had her on the show. And, you know, she was very – she's very candid. I, I just love her honesty. But she had some concerns about their lack of depth. You know, they've been hit by yeah. some key injuries in terms of what they would have available to them as well um, this season. But she is their toughness. And there have been times – and I, I'll tell you that I love – I love, love, love this this program. Like I, I got to spend time with them last year in the first and second rounds and the regional. Kelly Graves is, uh, I mean, as much fun to be around as any coach I've ever been around. His teams have fun. Their practices, the way they're 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 set up, like how they run their drills, like they're just so fun to cover, you know. And their kids are great kids. But there has been. You know, that question, especially after they lost to Notre Dame, the way they lost to Notre Dame last year in the regional final, are they tough enough? You know, and we know Sabrina is, but we also know it takes more than one to make it really happen. And so with the limited numbers, um, you know, who's who steps up, who becomes that next biggest factor? And their 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 defense has been the the question mark where that toughness is concerned is can we know they can score can they defend? And Susie Merchant's team used that pick and pop, as she told Kara Lawson in, in shoot around. And Kara said on on the game, you know, they knew that they if they could get their bigs to have to come out, you know, th- that could be a problem. And so, you know, I, I think you're right in that for a program that's never been there, that's a lot of pressure. And how do they handle the pressure? Everything they've done to this point has been wow. Look at these young, look at these young Oregon Ducks. You know, when you're when you're a freshman and you make it to the Elite Eight, you know, when you're a sophomore and you make it to the regional final, you know, it's like, okay, but now with the pressure of Sabrina Ionescu possibly, you know, going to the wanting to leave to go to WNBA, whether or not she's gonna do that, it's like, okay, we gotta get this done now. And how do you handle that pressure? And that's why I have so much respect for the programs that are able to get there over and over and over again, because it's not as easy as you think. Once people start expecting you to be there, that puts a whole nother level of um, required mental toughness than, you know, there would maybe some other team. So anyway, um, we'll keep our eyes on the Oregon Ducks. Michelle Vopel, thank you so much, as always, for your time. You are fantastic. We know that you're covering volleyball. You're coming with basketball. You have to stick WNBA in there. So we're grateful and thankful for you, and um, always great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for having me. All right. We'll talk soon, Michelle. Fourth quarter. Out of bounds. All right, basketball fans, so we heard you, and I told you, I promised you that Tarika and I would revisit the Notre Dame-UConn game and um, some things that happened in the game and some things that happened after the game. Listen, we are totally 100% okay with you guys tweeting us, emailing us. There's something we missed, didn't talk about, want to hear more about, let us know. And you guys called Tarika and I on the carpet. Because we talked about the exchange between Arike Gumbawale and um, Gino Oriema with Brooke Weisbrod. And the result in that was a technical foul, I believe, on Arike. But there were some other instances in that game where Arike lost her cool. And uh, one in particular was uh, the fourth quarter about the 143 mark. 
Um, she got called with an originally what was an offensive foul, um, I believe, on Crystal Dangerfield, but it was upgraded after the officials went to the monitor to an unsportsmanlike foul, uh, where it looked like Arike kind of took her arm and got looks like Crystal in a headlock a little bit. I mean, from some angles, they showed it in two angles. The under the basket angle actually didn't look that bad to me. Um, I couldn't tell what she was doing. Um, but uh, so that happened, but that coupled with, there was another play where at half court, I mean, she just clips Dangerfield. She was kind of like bumping into her, like around the sidelines. And yeah, yes, yes, yes. So totally, first of all, dangerous, um, not good sportsmanship at all. Um, and very unlike Arike. And I stand by that. And stemming from that, there were some apologies issued by one Muffet McGraw as well as Arike Agumbawale on Twitter, um, apologizing to their Irish fans, alum, um, for Arike's lack of poise, or Muffet said for her team's lack of poise on Sunday, that she sets a, a high bar, high expectations, and um, would use it as a teachable moment. And just talked about win or lose. It's always about how you play the game. And then Arike just basically said she let her the emo- her emotions get the best of her. Um, and she apologizes for her behavior. Now, she did, as far as the exchange with Gino Ariema later, say that she felt like, you know, she was baited. Um, you know, some people said they felt like she said something to Gino. Uh, but it's, she was basically saying Gino said something to her. But I think when she walked towards Gino Oriema is where the line was probably crossed instead of walking away. Mm-hmm. Um, Tarika, what what do you take away from the apologies? I mean, it's a it's a rivalry. The you know uh, some people said she should have they should have apologized to Crystal Dangerfield, like because she could have been hurt or to you know everyone. Or but uh, some people said you shouldn't apologize at all. It's a rivalry. Like moving and keep going. But I do respect that Notre Dame feels like they owed their fans um, something for that behavior, which was totally out of line. What do you think? I would straddle the fence on this. Um, you being a former athlete, me being a former athlete, when you're in the game, when your emotions are at an all-time high, you really can't always think about what the reaction to your actions are going to be after the fact. It's you're you're in the middle of it. You're in the thick of it. And with a rivalry like Notre Dame and like UConn, it's understandable how losing a game that you, you know, have been intent. You you were losing at this point and the score really isn't indicative of how the game really looked Um, (laughs) like I can understand from an athlete's perspective, how your emotions got that high, how tensions got that high and how every little thing that somebody could do on the opposite side of the court can can, for lack of better words, take you off. So in that aspect, I do understand why they felt it was necessary to apologize for losing their cool. I do not, however, and this is where fans may, I may lose some fans, but I do not believe that. We've never been afraid to lose fans. <laughs> I we gotta do, be real. I gotta be real. I do not believe that any player owes any other player an apology for something that happens in the thick of a heated game. I yeah. just don't because That's not the nature of it's sport, not the nature of the game. And then here we go. Do we ask LeBron James to apologize? Did we ask Lance Stevenson to apologize? Do we ask these people to apologize? You know, do we ask Kevin Durant to apologize to other players when? No, you don't. You don't. And so we're not going to look at these women 
as players and say, oh, that wasn't ladylike or that wasn't right or that wasn't. I get it. It may not have been sportsmanlike. And again, she did act that way, in my opinion, because of how high her emotions were running. But I do not ask any player to apologize for how they feel and how they play in the moment. It's just what athletes do. Well, and I don't think anyone would have even thought about that if they had not apologized at all. But I think people were like, hey, why don't you throw yeah. the other team in there or this person in there? And like I said, you know, I went back and watched most of the clips. Um, again, going back to the interaction between Arike and Gino, Arike moved towards Gino. Um, another thing that triggered me was Chris Daly got up to get Gino, which mm-hmm. says to me that she she felt like he needed to sit down. Um but, you know, you go back and you watch that stuff and you're like, this is a rivalry game. It's a rivalry like, this game. This is how it gets. And speaking of rivalries, it was taken one step further. And this is big, right? Where it appears that on Monday at some point, Brianna, Dis- Brianna Stewart discovered that she is blocked on Twitter by Muffet McGraw. <laughs> now, let me just say a few things about this. Okay. Number one is Muffet doesn't come off to me to someone who's on Twitter very often, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she just doesn't tweet a lot. Doesn't see, she's not very active. She's not one of the people where you're like, Oh, she's going to tweet every day or even every week or even every month. But anyway, so the fact that she was like, it appeared that she had blocked someone was kind of like, oh, well, maybe she is on Twitter a little bit more. The other thing to consider is, number one, we don't know when she got blocked. Right. Like, Brianna Stewart was running the world for a very long time um, in a UConn Huskies jersey. And those teams got the best of each other during her career. And so there probably a lot of times where Muffet or whoever – didn't like Brianna Stewart. Like, dang, I wish this girl was sound somewhere. Rock. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, but also keeping in mind that not all head coaches run their, their accounts either. Like, mm-hmm. there are often multiple people who have access to a head coach's account, whether that's ESID or sometimes, you know, you just never know. Like, they have other people tweeting for them. So that's something to keep in mind, too. But either way, it looks super petty. Tariqa, we know if you want to be petty, that's the biggest pettiest move is to block someone oh, what, did, what did you think when you saw it i initially cracked up because it, the timing of it was impeccable so i laughed initially and then i thought the exact same thing that you just said which i think i even texted you and said do we even know that coach mcgraw even runs her own twitter so like we don't even know for sure if it was her who blocked brianna or if it was someone who may have been running her twitter who blocked brianna but either way I would probably be inclined to not want to see the tweets of the team. I just literally had a heated game with. On top of that, I've lost two uh, championship opportunities to. Um, Brianna, it's all good. I mean, and, and you know what's funny about it is that tweet actually got 600 likes. I'm sorry, 4,600 likes and 600 retweets. Well, here's the thing, too. Like, we, I don't know what made Stewie go and check the account at that point at that moment right at that moment right but like i said she could have been blocked but yeah maybe they did lose and maybe you know how retweets happen maybe somebody retweeted into muffet's timeline something from brianna stewart she was like oh no nah, i gotta get this off of here like my mother would do something like that like if my mom looked let me tell you this if i 
retweeted something that my mom did not think was appropriate, she would try to press any button she could to get it off her timeline. Mm -hmm. And she would block me too on top of it. Um, Just not even understanding where it was coming from. But how did this person get on my time? You know what I mean? I'm not trying to say, I mean, Muffin may be a Twitter genius. Like she may do this, right? But I'm just saying. Listen, coach, if you did blocker, that's all good too. I'm cool with this. <laughs> I'm cool. I'm here for all of this petty. Because yeah. again, we don't make these kinds of arguments when it happens in the men's game. We enjoy it. We watch it and we look forward to how that is going to heighten the next time that they meet. So for me, I'm here for this pettiness. Please block somebody yeah. else. And you know what? I remember when LeBron James was viral because he unfollowed the calves. I mean, people uh, pay attention to that kind of stuff because it's funny and it's whatever. Like nobody's saying, oh, I guess some people are saying, oh, Muffet's petty. Well, so what? I mean, it's whatever. Right. Like, come on. It's sports. Sports, sports, sports. Right. I mean, I will say this though before we end the conversation. For anyone who feels that um, any conversation that we had on the show um, was offensive in regards to that. That was not the intent. We never want any player to get hurt, harmed, or no, injured in, at all at any time, even in the thick of somebody's emotions. So, and we would have said something if right. we saw it. Like, come on, give yeah. me a break. No one is intentionally ignoring anybody's behavior. Like, it was exactly. not even like just sit down. Like, yeah, yeah exactly. that's not what we so do. So I just want to make sure that we get back. that out, though. Exactly. Not, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so continue to hit us up if you have questions, emails. Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. You can find me at LaChina Robinson. Tarika is at Chino Sports underscore. Follow Michelle Vopel at Michelle V. And I believe you spell, is it Michelle V? It I is believe, Michelle V. And it's M-E-C-H-E-L-L-E. Mm-hmm. Um, so follow Michelle, follow Megan Kahn and what they're doing with We Coach. Uh, and email us at around the rim podcast at gmail.com or hit us up at around the rim pod. Until next week, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.